you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another good podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. We've got Evan Pushak on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to us about his amazing new book coming out August 30th, 2022. He runs a massive YouTube channel that you're going to want to hear about if you're not already a fan, The Nerd Writer. And is the name of the channel on YouTube there. And uh, we're going to be talking about his new book. In the meantime, refer your show, the show, any show, for all shows, to the your family, friends, and relatives. Say, have you subscribed to Chris Voss' show? It's the family that loves you but doesn't judge you. The best kind of family there is. Well, frankly, some people say the only kind of family there is when it really comes down to it. But stop sending me emails for money, okay? It's not that kind of family. We just love you unconditionally but we don't loan you money, okay? Because everybody knows how that works out in a family. Anyway, guys, be sure to go to all our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those crazy places the kids are playing, the big LinkedIn group, the LinkedIn newsletter, and all that sort of good stuff. You can see everything going on over there. He's the author of the newest book that's coming out. As I mentioned, it's going to be out on August 30th, 2022. My God, we're almost to September. Escape into Meaning, Essays on Superman, Public Benches, and Other Obsessions by Evan Pusak. He's on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to us about his amazing book. He is the creator of the popular YouTube channel, The Nerd Writer, which has more than 3 million subscribers. He's a Philadelphia native with a degree in film production from Boston University. He previously worked at MSNBC. We've had a few of those folks on. And you can check out his channel. Welcome to the show, Evan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Thanks for coming. We certainly appreciate it. Congratulations on the new book. Is this your first book? It is. It is my first book, so it's very exciting. There you go. Give us your .coms, your YouTube URLs, all that sort of good stuff you want to plug here so that people can check you out on the web. Well, the most, the, 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 the most important thing is, the biggest thing is the YouTube show, The Nerd Writer. You could just type that into Google and you'll find it. But the most important thing is the book. So you can find Escape Into Meaning at uh, anywhere you got buy books. There you go. And and let me ask you this really quick cuz uh, you know we just touched on it so I want to put it to bed. Why did you call the channel the nerd writer? What was the what proponent behind that? So, when I started the show in 2011, which is very long ago now, I was essentially doing a clone of a YouTube channel that I really loved called the Vlog Brothers. John and Hank Green. John Green is a novelist, wrote The Fault in Our Stars, a bunch of, bunch of other things. Hank Green is his brother. They had a show called The Vlog Brothers, and their fans were called Nerd Fighters. <laughs> at, at the time, I was, and then this, this connects to the book in a funny way, is that I had written a couple novels of my own in, back in 2011 that were not good but I didn't know that at the time. I thought they were good. And I was starting the show to sell those books, to self-publish them. And so I thought, oh, here, here's an idea. I'm a nerd fighter and a writer. 
So I'll just combine those two things and make it the nerd writer. And 11 years later, here we are. There you go. There you go. What's normally on the show? We'll, we'll get that out there too. So it's a, it's a series about art and culture. So it oh. is seven to 10 minute videos that kind of do a deep dive into something that I'm interested in. There's a lot of film analysis, painting, but I also talk about science and politics and whatever sort of strikes my fancy that week or that month. Hmm. It's a video, sort of like video essays, kind of like the book, but in video form. Hmm. And uh, yeah, check it out. Awesome. I definitely will. I, I, I got it pulled up here and we'll subscribe and, and be sure to check it out. So let's talk about your book. What motivated you want to write this book? Well, this is a book of 11 essays. And ever since I started the show, I have been a, a little bit obsessive about making videos that really were really visual, that had to, that sort of needed YouTube to exist. I wanted to find out what the unique strengths of YouTube were. And so I was gravitating towards things that just really worked in a visual medium. Mm -hmm. But that meant that over the period of the last decade when I was making the show, there were some ideas that I had that I thought really didn't fit on the show because they didn't need to be visual, mm -hmm. but that just wouldn't let me go. You know, that stuck with me. And when I was approached about potentially writing a book, those were the things that came directly to mind. And I knew that a that prose or a book of essays would be the right format for that. And so I just feel so lucky and privileged to get a chance to actually explore those ideas, which are really more like obsessions to me. There you go. In, in uh, the format where they belong. And why did you entitle it Escape Into Meaning? Why, why did you choose on that title? So that is the title of one of the essays. But the reason I chose that is as I look back at the book, which was intended to be 11 separate essays about 11 separate subjects, I just found there was a lot of a lot more connective tissue than I imagined there would be. And one of those big connectors was this idea of escape, whether it's the idea of escaping a stale mindset or escaping from the flow and the chaos of cities on a public bench, for example, mm. Mm. And, and the idea of escapism. Oh. There are a lot of essays in the book about traditionally escapist things. There is an, there is an essay mm. on my obsession with cyberpunk. I have an essay on the Lord of the Rings. And those things are, you know, fantasy traditionally considered escapism. For me, they were very meaningful. And so was the es other escapes that I was talking about earlier. And so it's just seemed that escape into meaning captured a lot of what the book actually contained. And, you know, it's, it's an ex exciting title escape, you know, we were yeah. hoping people would escape pick up the book and, into you know, titling, titling a book is an art, you know, that is not, not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, I, you know, I, we have a lot of authors on the show and I think sometimes that their titles are picked by the publisher sometimes and sometimes they're not. Sometimes the, I know the covers a lot of times they don't get a choice on. So like, that, you know, this is my first book, right? So I uh -huh. was so curious about all that stuff. Like uh -huh. 
I was almost positive that I wasn't going to get any control over cover or title. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of I, I, I was at peace with that. But then when it came to the process, actually came time, they basically turned to me to, oh. and, and we, we talked through the title, but I really had like the biggest say. And I, and I give credit to my publisher, Simon and Schuster for, for including me in those conversations. And then with the, with the cover, they hired a designer and I worked closely with the designer to, to get something that I really liked. And so it, you know, it is such a, it, there's so much education going through the publishing process. <laughs> it, it, it is like, it is a whole world, you know, and I, education I just, is the, is, a, yeah, that's a good term. <laughs> well, listen, so I'm sure some people don't have a good experience. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, stories. I had a good experience except for the, but you know, yeah. there you go. So my editor, yeah, my, I, I love my editor. She was great. Stephanie Hitchcock, yeah. but you know, I yeah. think it's probably, it's probably individual for every person, but it's just the, it's just the reading it like 5,000 times and the, you know, going through it. And, you know, I, I remember reach, reaching the point where I, I call all my friends and go, I'm throwing this fucking thing out the window. And they're like, no, no. When you're at that point of yeah, yeah. everything away and burning it in the fireplace, that's the good point. You're almost there. Just go, just go like a, a little bit further and you got it. Yeah, if you if you don't hate your work at some point in the process, then you're not you're not really doing work. You know? Yeah, if you if you yeah, you're just like, you know, I understand why Hemingway drank. Anyway, so let's let's get into this book. But I want to touch on something. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have another funny story because you just mentioned that. You, you So Hi, folks, here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out Chris Voss leadership Institute.com. Now back to the show. I was so ready for the moment of actually getting the physical book. You know, they sent it to me and yeah. I always had this fantasy in my head that when I would, when I finally got my first book in physical form, I would just open it up and read it. And I got the packages. I, I took the book out. I was like so excited for it. I opened up the book and I was like, I cannot read this. I've read this a million times. You know, it, it, it just didn't happen in the way that I fantasized. But um, sorry, I just had to. I had to no, I, I feel you, bro. I yeah. feel you, man. I, I was the same way. I was like, I, I cram my book out in three months. Wow. Uh, and just, uh, I, you know, I've been a out of my life. And so there's stories and anecdotes and business lessons from my life. And so, you know, these stories, I'd shaped them and gotten good at telling them and making them sound interesting or funny. And so, or at least I think I did, I don't know, read the book. And, and so I, I, you know, it was, it was pretty easy. It was just putting it all down on paper. So, you know, first yeah. part, it was just slammed down. It was just, you know, just hammering it down. And then, and then there was the weaving and, you know, the, whatever you call it, the formatting and crap. But, you know, it was three months during COVID. I was 
writing like 12 to 18 hours a day and editing 12 to 18 hours a day. Wow. And I am, I have, I have, I don't want to read anything in that book since when I do podcast appearances like this one, they go, so what's in your book? I'll be like, I don't know. Here, let me grab a, the chapters. Uh, there's a chapter here. Evidently some guy wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I actually had to take a vacation after I published. Cause I'm like, I need some space from you. <laughs> anyway. Well, I felt like I, ex I, I, I felt like almost like I exorcised like an yeah, exorcism, yeah, like an exorcism, those things yeah. from my, you know, like I was obsessed with all the things in the book, but yeah. not anymore. You know, you yeah. spend so much time with it. That, yeah. That's really what it is. The beautiful thing I love about it is it's on paper and fuck it. It's just there for all time and attorney. I don't have to think about it anymore. If anybody had, Hey, Chris, will you tell us the story you used to tell us about the whatever? I'll be like, read the damn book already you know anyway let me ask you this because you you kind of alluded to uh you know people use things as escape is that what we do with stories is that what we do with obsessions or like some of the things you talk about in the book like superman and lord of the rings and stuff in some cases yes i mean there is this kind of there's this dichotomy in escapism of what what uh, tolkien said was People confuse the the escape of the prisoner, so like the freedom aspect of escape, mm -hmm. with the flight of the deserter, somebody mm -hmm. who's trying to escape reality into a more comforting fantasy world that 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 allows them to not face reality. And so, yeah. I think those two sides exist. I think we do use some we do use escapist art to. Mm -hmm step away from into a more comforting reality. I mean, mm -hmm. given the state of the world, it's hard to blame people for doing that, you know, but that's what superhero movies are. That's yeah. what fantasies are. I don't think that's necessarily a huge problem, but it's a matter of degree. You know, how much do you let yourself get taken away? Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and yeah, go ahead. No, no okay. uh, there's, there's probably some healthy things to it. We need to escape. We need, yeah, we yeah. need some, relaxing time you know people play video games they you know whatever it is they do they they need to escape and sometimes life is uh maybe sometimes a little dark or tough and you know you need to have some place you can go to to get your hopes up and your spirits up absolutely i think yeah. that's that's you know that that's part of being a healthy person you know knowing when to step back and there's a reason these things are hugely popular i mean you know they they give people a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. And so there is that side of it. And, 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 yeah. and fa fantasy, particularly fantasy, takes bears the brunt of a lot of the aspersions toward escapism for that mm -hmm. reason. But there's also meaning in these, mm -hmm. in these things. I personally found a lot of meaning in Superman as a, as a, t a teen and... Lord of the Rings had a huge impact on me and cyberpunk had a huge impact on me. They, 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 they allow you a space to think through ideas mm -hmm. that is freer mm -hmm. than reality and allows you to think for of reality from a very strange and different angle, which can be also really useful. So I don't think yeah. it's all good or all bad, but I, I do think this dichotomy that Tolkien mentioned was exists 
Yeah. So let's piss off some people. What did you write about Superman? Are we going to have we're going to have opposing teams of comic comic people? Give us maybe. Uh, I don't think so. So basically, the Superman essay, and I, I was so obsessed with Superman as, as a kid, and still am. But the Superman essay jumps off from a speech that is at the end of Kill Bill Two, where the bad guy says that Superman. Clark Kent is essentially the costume and Superman is the real guy. He's the, he's the guy. And Clark Kent, this bumbling idiotic guy is Superman's critique on the human race. It's how he views us. And so the, the essay is all a giant refutation of that from the perspective of a Superman fan. Basically the point I'm trying to make in the essay is that, Superman is sorry Clark Kent is the core of the character mm-hmm. and stories that fail to focus on Clark actually tend to be boring and forgettable and you can find mm-hmm. instances in that in the recent Superman movies and lots of Superman media mm-hmm. but the the major criticism of Superman is that he's too perfect he's too vanilla he's too good he's boring you know, for yeah. that reason. Yeah. And in terms of physical might, he is too, pr- I mean, they had to invent kryptonite just to give him an enemy because none of the enemies can actually do anything, yeah. you know, but that actually, I think I make the point in the essay presents a really good opportunity to focus on all the things that physical power can't do. Mm-hmm. And it cannot solve your emotional, psychological issues. These are things that Superman or Clark Kent share with all of us. And yeah. it just has been disappointing to me watching Superman media in the last, you know, couple decades to not see more energy focused toward that. It seemed to me to be the most interesting part of the character. I don't know if that's really going to annoy comic book fans. It's just my sort of personal, like, obsession about it. My understanding is you can always find some to piss people off between, yeah. you know, I, what, what's your favorite Superman? Like what, uh, out of all the variations of it going from the original black and white, where I grew up watching. Yeah. To George Reeves, George Reeves, all the, all the iterations since I saw a scene the other day from George Reeves' son, I forget his name, Christopher Reeves. And, and, and. You know, I I did love the those Superman movies, but they really were corny. <laughs> Go back and look at them; they're yeah. a little bit slapstick. I mean, so there's a great quote by a guy called Bob Prohl, which is the the best Superman is whatever Superman you encountered when you were 12. So when I was 12, the Superman I encountered was Smallville, the show on on the WB. Oh yeah. And that's really what piqued my interest in it because it was about the Clark Kent character and it was about his pain of being different of, you know, uh, of not fitting in and all these interesting things. But that said, I do have a huge soft spot for Christopher Reeve as Superman. And, and again, the reason is because he played Clark so well, you know, he, he was so, he, he balanced it so perfect, perfectly. And when you saw Superman, when he has the conversation with Lois on the roof in the first movie, you see Clark's eyes in the Superman. Like you see that guy in the Superman character. He shines mm-hmm. through. 
the tagline for the 78 Superman movie was, you'll believe a man can fly. But what Christopher Reeve accomplished was making the large, making us believe that the larger than life icon is a man. You know, mm. we, we saw the man behind the character. That said, as you say, it gets really corny. And we're not even going to touch the fact that he flies around the earth so fast that it turns the, tur- tur- <laughs> that it turns the, the earth backwards and that turns back time that doesn't make yeah. any sense but we're just i think go. the first one was really good yeah the and then one's great the one that the actually to to be fair the corny scene i saw was the one with the three people in the mirror was that the third one or the second one it, was could, the second one. it could be the second one yeah so i actually yeah. just i a couple of weeks ago just did a video on the nerd writer about the second superman movie and yeah. how it was just a complete mess because they changed directors mid movie. And so you've got oh, all these it. super goofy things happening in the third act that weren't intended mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah. Uh, the guy who directed all the Beatles movies was brought on to direct to, to, to direct once they fired the first guy. And he brought a lot of that Beatles energy. If you're, if you remember help or a hard days. Yeah. Night, yeah. That, yeah, those, chasing, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the energy he brought to Superman, which just did not fit with uh-huh. what it originally was and it it suffers for that reason and then the third and fourth Christopher Reeve movies are horrible <laughs> they're, they're so bad I'm not even sure I watched them I remember yeah. the second one was bad was that the one with the dam but the first one I thought was it nailed it and stuff let me let me say this I know we're we're stretching the superman story out a little bit much but why do you think that appeals and maybe this ties into what you wrote in your essay. What do you think that appeals to 12-year-old boys? I mean, I discovered comic books, you know, when I was like uh, 9, 10, or 12. And, you know, I, we had a whole pile of them we collected. We had kind of like a, a shared stash. Why does that appeal to, to boys at that age? Well, aside from superheroes being a kind of power fantasy, which we know 12 boy, 12-year-old boys specifically – can can relate to it also presents a vision of the world in which morality is very black and white Hmm. and at that age i think it's harder to see the shades of gray or rather the shades of gray in our world really intimidate us Hmm. because they don't fit into neat categories Mm -hmm. and we turn to superhero comics and we see the good guys and we see the bad guys and we get a sense of what good actually is in this world and it's something we can understand and root for and all these things the issue is go ahead no no i was just gonna say the issue is that those 12 year old boys and girls grow up and we still turn to superheroes for stories and at a certain age the black and white morality actually becomes a it becomes a hindrance rather than something that helps because we want at a certain age we want stories with shades of gray mm-hmm. and the superhero frame is not is not naturally great at carrying that mm-hmm. kind of story and so it takes really good writers to do to do it justice yeah um, but you if know you find out life is black and white when you get older and stuff. It's, yeah. it's yeah. much more complex. You know, when you when I grew up as a child and, you know, we had John Wayne and we didn't understand the racial undertones of some of the stuff that was going on there. But, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we it was, you know, it was supposed to be good and, good and evil. And 
black and white and you know the the lone ranger wore white and the bad guys were black and you know that theme through all the movies and it, it's interesting me you've made me think about how i never really thought about those things as, as important and it's establishing a black and white a good and evil stuff like that i just kind of you know i think i think some of it too is you're i you know i was a nerd as a as a as a young man i was a thin guy i you know i did my parents weren't didn't have money, so they didn't have clothes. You know, I had bullies and stuff that I had to deal with. And maybe that's part of the fantasy, too, is, you know, you imagine you're Superman or you imagine you're a guy who doesn't have to take anybody's crap anymore. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I felt very similarly. You know, I, I would fantasize about being that powerful or, or that courageous or that mm-hmm. that able to sort of say what I felt you know, in the, in the moment and be articulate and all these things, which I think, you know, a therapist could say is the reason I do all everything I do now in terms of my job. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, maybe people do that at Comic-Con, you know, they, they feel more empowered by by putting on the thing. And, and I think there's, you know, I put on a cape, you know, we put on capes, we make little capes out of pillowcases and, you know, run around the yard like silly people. And, but I mean, I, you know, I guess there's some things in there. All right, let's get, let's get, let's get to, who did you piss off in the J.R. Tolkien realm? I read The Hobbit and The Lord of Rings like ad nauseum when I was 12. So, oh, I hope nobody because I absolutely love, (laughs) but I, maybe, I mean, so the Tolkien essay and the cyberpunk essay are sort of sister essays. And the Tolkien, the Tolkien one is actually about, is the one that's called Escape into Meaning. Mm Mm-hmm. And the specific, the specific way I use that in the story is that cyberpunk, if you think of like Blade Runner, you know, these dystopic future worlds. For me, the, you know, the question I asked at the beginning of that essay was, why do I find that comfort, comforting? You know, why is this dystopia a place that I keep returning to and feel like warm and fuzzy about? It, it seems mm-hmm. like it doesn't seem to work. Dystopia shouldn't make you feel that way. And so what I sort of figured out in the process of writing was that cyberpunk was a, like that future was a space in which nothing really mattered. Mm. And so I, by placing myself there, I no longer had to go through the difficult work of finding a place in the world and making Mm. meaning for myself. And so Mm. it was a place where I could let go. So that was one side. That was an escape from meaning. And in Lord of the Rings, what I found was a fantasy world in which everything has a meaning relative to the greater story. So all the characters, all the sacred objects, everything's got a destiny and it all fits together in this perfect kind of whole. Hmm. And I personally am a non-believer and so I don't believe that there's a, there's a purpose for mankind or for me or a God of any kind. And so what I found in the Lord of the Rings was a kind of place where I could indulge in that thing. I think we all have inside of evolutionarily, which is to want there to be a meaning, to mm-hmm. want to have a purpose relative to the greater universe. Mm-hmm. By immersing myself in, Lord, in, the, in the Lord of the Rings story, I could feel that way but not have to believe something i didn't believe um and so that was an escape into meaning yeah you know it was escaping they're both escaping from the same thing which is 
real life in which you have to make meaning for yourself. And that's hard work. You have to find a place in the world that you fit. And that's hard work mm -hmm. in two different Jesus. directions. Yeah. Uh -huh. in two, two different directions. Those were the two directions I took. Jesus, Evan, you're like a psychiatrist to my 12 year old child <laughs> you know, between comic books and the Lord of the Rings. Like, dude, I, I read that book. And the only book I had trouble reading was a similar, similarian, similarian, similarian. Yeah. Yeah. That thing was like, it's like reading a thesaurus or a dictionary. It's a history um, book. Yeah. It's, 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 a it's little, not a story. Um, yeah. It's not, I don't know. I don't know. You can ever put that in a movie. It's not fun. I don't know. I don't remember anything about it, but I, I, I love the Hobbit. I love the Lord of the Rings. I just read them over and over again. But yeah, you, what you speak to is, is yeah, a lot of what was going on as a 12 year old boy trying to find meaning and, you know, having your own little camp of meaning and it makes sense in its own, its own little sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think, I think a lot of males go through this. I don't know what females go through because I, I haven't done that side of the things, but uh, there's still time. I, you know, when boys grow up and they go through, you know, a lot of different things and you've given me some uh, concepts that I, uh, I need to think about. And it's like, wow, that explains, you know, why, why I really loved it. We've talked to Terry Brooks to have Terry Brooks on the show. He wrote the sort of Shanera. I don't know if you I know Terry Brooks, but I haven't I haven't read it. No. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a huge series. It was kind of really Tolkienish, and he wrote like I think three series of books, and then I think there were six and nine, and and these are in a lot of different things. But but yeah, same sort of genre. I was really big into who's the Foster guy, John Dean Foster. He wrote like a lot of science fiction stuff the same way. And I really embraced that, that when I was 12 too. What are some other things we want to touch on? Of course, we don't want to give away the whole book. We want people to order it. What are some other things we want to touch on or tease on that's in the book? Well, so if, that, if that's the side of escapism, mm -hmm. you know, which, which is a, a, a sort of major focus of the book. The, the other side, I think, is the escapes from, from, from stale, sort of stale mindsets and places that that I found myself stuck in. And the first essay is called Emerson's Magic about Ralph Waldo Emerson and how he sort of woke mm -hmm. me up to just my curiosity about the world. And he's sort of the reason why I've done everything I've done. And just just talking about, you know, what what is really my biggest obsession, which is people who can articulate themselves really well, whether it's in writing, in speech, or in the case of another essay, which is on Seinfeld in stand-up comedy. You know, there are people who excel at putting language together in such a way that it unlocks something in your, in your mind. And I'm so obsessed with the people who who are masters at that. Emerson is one, Seinfeld is another. Virginia Woolf, I mentioned in the book, is also somebody who I, you know, just sort of changed my life. Because when you read these people's work or listen, mm -hmm. to, their, listen to their work, for me, at least the experience is like reading your own thoughts. You know, there is so much going on in our head that is messy and when a writer can tidy those things up for you, it's almost like they're more you than you mm -hmm. because they understand. And the, the motivation for the show and the motivation for the book is just a general frustration that I have personally 
with not understanding or knowing what I believe and think about things. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why I write things down. That's why I make videos. Yeah. And and you do a brilliant job from what I've seen. Ralph Waldo Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, his book on self-reliance. That was like yeah. finding being lost in the woods and finding truth and finding sanity. You know, I absolutely I grew up, I, I grew up with people pushing religion into my face and you know, all all sorts of that and indoctrination and 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 I had my own thoughts and my own questions and you know, no one can answer them for me and I you know, you're insane because you don't, you know, believe in the cult. And I'm like, I think you're the problem. I don't think I'm the problem. But I, at the time, I was one of the few people. And and finding Ralph Waldo Emerson, finding George Carlin and other voices that were like, hey, I'm not mad. There's other people like me. It was really helpful. I'll throw I this love, out I, here. I love to hear that. I love that you had that experience with Emerson. Yeah. And so finding that book, there were some quotes I picked up and I was like, who the hell is that? And they go, Ralph Emerson. And I went and bought uh, the book Self-Reliance and I loved it. One of my favorite things is I was still a teenager when I got it. And I was, I was pretty much my own person as a teenager because I, you know, I was living in Utah. I was raised in the cult and I'd been fighting it ever since I was like three years old. And and ditching church and playing all sorts of silly games to keep from going to church. And, but, you know, it's just constant indoctrination. And one of my favorite quotes from him, there's a lot of great quotes from him. One of my favorite quotes is the nonchalant of boys who are sure of a dinner, who would disdain as much as a Lord to do or say ought to conciliate one is the healthy attitude of human nature. And so I try and keep that in what I do. A boy is to the parlor what the pit is to the playhouse. Independent, irresponsible, looking out for his corner on such people and facts as they pass by. He tries and sentences on their merit in the swift, summary way of boys as good, bad, interesting, silly, eloquent, and troublesome. And he comes himself never about the consequences or interests. He gives independent, genuine verdict. You must court him. He does not court you. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that so beautiful? I, uh, I love it. And it's, it's so much my personality today. <laughs> but that's, that, that's the thing. It's like, he just had a way, and, and this is 150 years before, you know, before we were born, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he has a way of reaching into the future and describing, describing you today in 2020 or whatever, 2022. You know, that is so amazing. And I had the exact same experience. What I was just, what I was just talking to you about, about how I felt like he was more me than me. Mm -hmm. I was having that thought, like he understands me more than I understand myself. And then I read the quote by him, the young man reveres men of genius because to speak truly, they are more himself than he is, which was like, he had the thought about the thought that I was having too. Like he was just in my head and I was, you know, I was 18 or 19 when I first encountered him and, and it was transformative, transformative. One of the other things I always remember is <clears throat> wherever you go, no matter how much you travel, to try and get away from yourself. There you always are. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, God, that makes sense. I, I know people, they're always trying to get away from themselves. They travel the world. <clears throat> Or they think if they move, you know, to Rhode Island or something, they'll things will be different if I just go over there. No, you still have you with you. Let's let's touch on one more fun thing out of your book. What do you have against what is it? Urban planning. It's the ode to benches, public benches. I don't have anything against urban planning, but I'm just, I. I'm just 
I know, I know. You're just being provocative. Um, I, provoc- what the hell is wrong with you in public benches, Dan? But what do they do to you? Show me on the doll where they hear you. No, I can, I can, I can, I can play if you want. The that 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 is exactly what it is. I love, I love benches. <laughs> but when I say I the lamp. Is, what, yeah, exactly. What I say in the book is that I've had more moments of genuine peace on public benches than anywhere else. And it's that, you know, you're out there in the city or wherever you are, you're sitting and you're just kind of observing. And all of a sudden you get, I get this wave of sort of tranquility. And that was the jumping off point to talking about the value of public benches, but also public space Hmm. in cities and how benches are essentially these invisible parts of urban design that we walk right past, but they actually play a huge role in terms of individual and community health. And that, that is just the, the beauty of my job is that Hmm. I can just say, I have, you know, I I can think to myself, oh, this is fun sitting on this bench. Hmm. All right. 5,000 words about it. You know, I'll, 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 I'll be able to actually figure out why. Why does Lord of the Rings, why am I obsessed with Lord of the Rings? You know, I can actually write it and make it, you know, make it into my job. And so I, I, all these things that you've mentioned, including public benches, are just personal obsessions, you know? Well, I mean, I, I can see from what you're talking about that there's a there's a bit of a it's a peaceful place in in in, in inside the hubbub of you know a metropolis that's a chaos right and totally and it's a peaceful place where you can sit and reside and of course sometimes that warm feeling that you have is the poop left behind from the homeless guy who was there yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. it smells it's sometimes that, it smells uh, <laughs> if you're in new york it just comes with the territory that's the smell of urine in the autumn nice Wow, I must be yeah. in New York. Yeah, yeah. It's if it has that really musky smell, you know, it's I don't know what month. I, I don't have a joke for that. But no, I I think it's I think it's good that you've you've identified these things and, and appreciate them. Is are they a little bit from a comedic nature where you you take something and you build it up, you tear it down and build it back up again, almost like a Jerry Seinfeld that you talk about in the book. Yeah, I mean, he'll take something basic and he'll just break it down. Yeah, I mean, it always starts from this feeling. It always starts from a feeling that I have, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Tolkien, it's like, okay, I've watched the Lord of the Rings movies 50 times. So what could possibly have motivated me to do that? There's something deeper going on there. And then in the case of public benches, it's like, okay, I really feel at peace on these benches. Why is that the case? In the case of benches, it's like, okay, cities encourage you, like the, the planning of cities, the architecture of a city encourages you to move from point A to point B. And that's what most city dwellers are doing outside. They're heading to the store, they're heading to a restaurant, and they're heading home. But a bench allows you, you mentioned New York City, you know, if you stop from moving point A to point B, you can get trampled by the herd that's moving, you know? Yeah. So you, 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 you can't really stop, but a bench allows you to step away from the herd. And mm. that radically, just that simple act of sitting radically alters your relationship to the city architecture. Mm. And when we encourage more public spaces, green spaces mm. with benches, you know, and, and things like that, we, 
can imagine and achieve a, just a different way of existing in these cities. Hmm. You know, city, cities have been commuter driven. They've been work driven for, you know, a hundred years. And now all these cities around the world, including where I live in Barcelona, they are trying to carve back some of these street spaces for pedestrians, for people who just want to have some living space. And it's mm-hmm. difficult, but they're all trying to do it because I think now we get that having communal public green space is necessary to keep people from just going, you know, going stir crazy. Yeah. And COVID really taught us that. That's, I think, why it's really booming right now. But, you know, when when I was here in Barcelona for COVID, sitting on a bench was basically all you could do in yeah. Barcelona. Like you couldn't do anything. Everything was closed. So that's, it, it just showed how vital these invisible things become when the chips are down and then a crisis happens. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, I really agree with you. There is, there is a point where you sit on the bench, you, you step off of the causeway of people that are, that are, you know, going by and the hustle and the bustle and you you sit there and you you have a chance to look around take in the sights or read a book i'm thinking maybe a good idea for both you and i is maybe we should each get like a a public bench in our house just like have it someplace and then that's your like creative spot you know when you want to write or you know think about what you want to write or something like that that might be a that might be a thing eh? maybe maybe we just Made something new that Ikea can do or something. <laughs> well, now that I've written this, now that I literally have public benches on the f- cover of my book, I think I, actually, I have to get one. I think you, you, you've got a trend here going. What you don't get in your home is the ability to people watch, which is That's really, true. really yeah. the great thing about benches. The great yeah. thing about benches is that they disappear into the background. Mm. So you... You, you can sit on one and it's almost like you're invisible mm-hmm. and you can just observe people. And what's more fascinating than that? You know, people yeah. watching is such a fun thing to do. I love, I love people watching and I don't know, you could hire some people to come in your home, maybe invite some homeless people, <laughs> you know, pee in the corner, give it that, you know, that real effect. Yeah. Uh, that reality. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Have some pigeon lady or something like from that, the homeless movie, that home, 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 whatever, with the fucking kid, the Macaulay Culkin thing. Home alone. Yeah, you could have that lady come over with the pigeons and whatever. She stands in the corner and just, I don't know, you make some of her. I was going to tell you, though, <clears throat> I, I got I got I do got to cut this joke. The thing I did love about, about oh, what was the cyberpunk movie that you mentioned that I Blade Runner. Much? Blade Runner. I've seen it like 5,000 times. Me and too. The, ending, Me the too. ending is so beautiful. And it was improv, too. But no, the reason I liked, unlike you, the reason that I liked Blade Runner was just for the sex, uh, the hot, sexy robots that you could have sex with. That, that, <laughs> Well, I mean, there was must be Love Westworld then, which that's what a, that's. What I, yeah, I, well, I haven't really watched that. I I started watching it. And I'm like, where are these sex scenes that I keep hearing about? And I'm, there's a lot of going on here, and I'm I, I do I need to fast forward through some of this? What's I? Yes, yeah, I gave it's, up. It's on all it. dumb. Damn it. That. See, I I love the original Westworld with you know I saw that thing when the it movie, came out yeah. the movie with the Bren Yule Brenner yeah Yule um, Brenner. Yeah, and oh my God, when you find out he's a robot, holy shit, you about shit your pants. And he was such a, just like, tough man. The other one thing I want to call back, we're just going to do callbacks for the rest of the show. The other thing I want to call back to you on is 
you wrote the essay on on how and correct me if I don't have this right how I was thinking Wayne which is that's Batman Clark Kent's take of what his nerdiness is his nerdiness thing is his take on us is it a mockery of us is he that's that's what Bill thinks from Kill Bill. Bill thinks that that Clark Kent is essentially a critique or a a, mm-hmm. a mock a mockery of it's like what this godlike alien imagines human beings are these frail bumbling idiot characters but i make the reason and the reason he says that in the movie is because he's trying to convince Uma Thurman that she can never be a normal person with a normal family she'll always be a killer she'll always be an assassin you have to be, you know, you, you, you can't put on the costume of this normal person like Superman does. But the point I make in the book is that Bill is the villain. And if there's one thing that villains are usually wrong about, it's the hero. And not only is he wrong about Uma Thurman's character, the bride from Kill Bill, but I also think that he's wrong about Superman. It, 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 it would be a hugely boring character if the Clark Kent side of that was just a critique or a mockery. I mean, where do you go from there? Maybe you have one joke and that's it, or, you know, you made me realize Superman's an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that guy. Wow. More interesting as an asshole. Damn. So let me play something on the spin on that and run a spin it, baby. Because as you were telling me that, and this is why I got to call this back, as you were telling me that, it made me think, what if Fight Club, what if Superman doesn't exist and Clark Kent does and Clark Kent is Edward Norton and Superman is Tyler Durden and he doesn't really exist except in his mind? I think that would be a far more interesting story than pretty much every Superman movie for the last 20 years. Yeah. That'd so, be, it'd be like Dallas where it's just like a fucking what's his face had a dream. It was all a dream. <laughs> write it. Write you know, it. What's that? What's that? It'd be like that show where the guy goes, I see dead people. And the guy at the end finds out he's dead. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll shop it to M. Night Shyamalan. It's been fun to have you on the show. You've psychologically analyzed my whole childhood. So thank you very much for explaining my fascination with the Tolkien and comic books and everything else. I'll uh, bill. There you go. You know, there you go. So give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs. You can search me at the <laughs> you can search the nerd writer on, on Google and you'll find all my stuff. But the book is called Escape into Meaning. It's out in 14 days. And if you guys would pre-order it or get it or anything, that would just be a huge help to me. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for having me on. This was a blast, man. Thank you man. for coming, Evan. This has been fun. Yeah. This has been fun. I, you know, we, we have a lot of great people on the show, but we sometimes we have really stuffy journalists from CNN or MSNBC, you know, and all the Washington Post people, and they're really professional folks. And, you know, there's not much fun I can have with sometimes the day, the politics are depressing. But uh, this has been fun, so I really enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you very much. It, you're, you're, you're so easy to talk to, Chris. I try to be, you know, that it's the vodka that's in the coffee. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, thank you very much, Evan. Thanks, my audience, for tuning yeah. in. Go order the book wherever fine books are sold, but don't go in those alleyway bookstores. Last time I was in one, I got stabbed, robbed, and I had to take a tetanus shot. Escape into Meaning, Essays on Superman, Public Benches, 
and other obsessions out August 30th, 2022. In the meantime, refer to share your family, your friends, and relatives. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. All of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those places those crazy kids are playing on the interwebs. Stay safe, be good to each other, and we'll see you guys next time.